You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. How's everybody doing this morning? You can tell how long it's been since it's been jacket season, because I just found some sunglasses that I thought I had lost forever. That's about how long it's been since it's been cool enough to wear a jacket. Um, I didn't even know I owned them anymore. I just thought it was shorts and shirts. That's about it, T-shirts. So I'm excited, excited that it's cooling down. Um, not as excited about flooding, but I'm just, I'm just loving it. Is anyone else loving this cooler weather? Just loving it. It's good. Everybody's happier. Everyone drives worse, but they're happier while they're doing it. So it's, you know, I don't know, Catch-22. If, you, if you're a big commuter, you might not love it as much. But um, if you're joining us uh, for the first time, uh, I just want to say welcome. You know, thank you to you guys for appreciating Katie and I. We, we feel really so appreciated for what we do already. We have a great team of people, even beyond uh, pastors and staff, uh, who are honestly such a huge blessing that this is really us all doing it together. And so, you know, sometimes not every day is easy, not every day is simple, but at the end of the day, we always stand back and are just so thankful for what God's doing and for what he's doing in this church, and that takes everyone. So I just want to say that as your pastors, we appreciate you, we honor you, uh, we thank you, we thank you for being a part of what God's doing here, and we're excited for him to keep doing it. Amen? Amen. Uh, we're in the middle, or we're two weeks into our Jonah series, or our Joseph series here. I'm going to take my phone out. We're in the, in the two weeks into our Joseph series, and if you were here last week, we, we began it talking about God awakening and stirring up dreams uh, in our hearts and in our lives. And uh, last week, I talked to some people afterwards, they're like, that was a lot of information. Um, and so last week, how many of you were here and heard all of the biblical context that I gave? It was, ex- it was extensive. Um, it was like a fire hose, <laughs> fire hose of information, but I think it's important. Uh, context is so key. Uh, understanding why, why the writer was writing, understanding what was happening, understanding the fi- family dynamic is important because we don't want to make kind of uninformed choices based upon just things that were kind of like, oh, yeah, this is what I think it might mean, so therefore it is, right? And I and I believe that context is really crucial when we read the Old Testament. So what we talked about last week is this idea that, that God uses both physical dreams, literal dreams, and, and he stirs up um, dreams in our life and in our heart because God wants to do something. God wants to move. God, God desires for us to see greater things, right? It's not conditional on salvation, but he, desi- he desires for that. He desires to see greater things. Uh, and so I'm believing in this Dreamer series that God is just going to continue to awaken things. And the reason this series is seven weeks is because I don't expect for every single person week one for God to, to, to stir that or awaken that or for you to be, th- be able to, to work through the things in your life. But I believe that some of you are on a journey. And so I want you, as we're on this series, to both be okay in the moment where God says, now, now it's happening, now I'm stirring, now I'm awakening by the power of the Holy Spirit, and be okay with the journey. Can we do that together? Be okay that not everybody's at the same spot, but that some of you are at that spot and need to make a choice, right? Amen? And kind of being okay with all those things. Oh, Carson is here. What's up, man? Yeah, what's up, dude? <laughs> Um, so we're, we're in this dreamer series and I was thinking this week about when dreams get hijacked. Uh, as I was thinking about this, this message, it reminded me of when my wife and I were going to honeymoon in Mexico and we were, uh, we did not have money. We, um, we were under the line based on what we made at a church, which is why, you know, our attempt is to pay people well. We were under what they call the poverty line, which is you don't, you make enough that you get government assistance and not enough to pay your bills, kind of like that line. So we lived there in, in our life, and um, it's just a season of life, and it's a season that many of us go through, but we were there, and someone gifted us a chance to go to Mexico. So as young people in that, we were like, oh my gosh, like this is the dream. So we dreamed up everything you could dream about going to Mexico because there's no way we were going to afford to go to Mexico. There's just no way. So for us, it was like this incredible dream. And now I'd only gone to Mexico to build houses and, and things like that, to build systems and infrastructure and go to Ensenada or to Peak and go to these places and build houses and do that. I've never, like, vacationed there. So we just began to dream, like, oh, what could we do? And all these things. My wife spoke Spanish, and I was like, think of all the people you can talk to now. And it was just like this whole world was opened up. And so we're just dreaming, and it's awesome. We're excited. And we get there, 
and uh, we, you know, take a taxi to the to the hotel, and you know, Katie's translating and doing her thing, and I'm just sitting there like, oh, it's great. And, you know, I'm excited because it's the honeymoon, you know, infer what you want. But, like, we're, like, we're getting to this hotel, and this is, like, this is perfect. And I'm, like, there. And I'm realizing as we're driving, I'm, like, there's just not that many people here. And we get to the hotel, and day one, I'm, like, it's kind of it's kind of cloudy, but it, it, maybe it'll clear up. It's fine. Day two, <laughs> we wake up, and everything is boarded up. Every window everything, and I don't have my computer because I wasn't planning on, you know, doing computer work, and so, like, I'm not, like, looking anything up or checking anything, and we, they're, like, every window's boarded up, and we're walking around, and it's really cloudy now. It's, it's disturbingly cloudy, and I'm, like, what is going on, and they slide a note, when we get back to her, and they slide a note, which feels so unofficial to me. If you run hotels, don't run your hotel this way in a foreign country. They slide a letter under our door that I later validate, so I know it's not a scam, um, they slide a letter under the door. They on the top basically just says hurricane in large letters, which way to start softball it in. Like, thank you so much for staying with us. Hurricane. Lead with something soft. It says hurricane. It says all these warnings. You got to get to higher ground. They're going to close the airport. Everything's going to be boarded up. And so we're like, what the heck do we do? The only food option in the hotel is this buffet that we cannot afford because we can't even afford to be here. Like, our ratio is how we were surviving in this place. You know, 20 pesos, the tacos based upon the peso of the dollar ratio is how we were surviving in this place. So we can't afford the bougie buffet. Like, we can afford peso tacos. That's what we can do. And so we're like, we can't afford to be here. We got to get out. We And we don't have any kind of access to anything. So I call back to the States and I'm like, someone help us get us out of here. And so we're, you know, and I feel terrible, right? Because we've dreamed this dream of being in Mexico, and we get to Mexico, and it's rainier than Seattle, and everything's boarded up, and it's just reminding us of how poor we are, <laughs> and, and it's just kind of like, you don't have money or a car. You can't afford to be here. We're just like, yeah, we know, and it's raining, and so eventually we get out. As we land, we, we get to the airport. We take a taxi, and it's hard to find a taxi in a hurricane, especially a decent one, because most decent taxi drivers in hurricanes are in a place called home, and so we find the one, like, shuttle, bus, taxi. You know what I'm talking about if you've been in a foreign country. It's like, what is this? It was a van, then it was a delivery truck. Now it's taking us to the airport. And so, so we get there, and we get on the plane. We fly out. We land in LAX. When we land in LAX, they tell us, yours was the last flight out, um, and then they closed the airport. So we literally got out, but people at the airport who couldn't get out had to then go back to their hotel and had to book a hotel room at the hotel that they had just checked out at. I know that's sad, but we didn't, so yes. Uh, but in my life and in this dream and in this thing that we'd had, again, this is like a humorous example, but it, it was this dream that we had had that was totally hijacked by a situation completely out of our control. Now, some wisdom could have been used by checking the weather, I've learned, <laughs> but I don't know. We were 21, and we thought we knew everything, and we didn't even come close. <laughs> I'm just now realizing that I don't know anything. Um, <laughs> but we were 21, and, and we thought this, and we had this dream and this vision, and our honeymoon ended up being awesome, and it was great, and it was a good time, and w whatever, but we, it was totally out of our control. And as I was looking at life, and I've experienced so much of life, I feel like so, so many times I'll encounter this, that my dream, or, or what I'm really desiring, what I'm really believing for, is totally hijacked by something out of my control. Has anyone been there? That this dream that you have, or or maybe it's just even a desire, it's like, and, and you're like, what the heck? Like, it's just out of nowhere comes this storm that totally hijacks your dream. And when we look at Joseph, is that Joseph has a dream, but his dream is totally hijacked. Now, it doesn't go to waste, and I'm going to share that because that's the point of Joseph. But he has a dream, and it's totally hijacked. If you were here last week, um, then I, I showed you a couple charts about where Joseph falls, because I think it's important. I, I, Gianna, were you able to put those up? Awesome. Could you put up one of those charts? Um, I showed you kind of guys last week where Joseph fall, and I'm just going to point one. Go back. That was quick, though. I do like that. You're on the draw, brother. Can you go back to that other one? Unless you guys, you guys have that memorized, can we move on or we get, no, we'll stay here. <laughs> okay. um, I'm just going to point out one is that we talked about the continuation of the promise. 
and how Jacob, this is the father of Joseph, and where he sits in the line. And about how there had been workarounds and trickery and different things people had tried. And when they tried to work around the promise, they ended up just working against God. And I just, I'm just i going to point out one person, Ishmael, here. And just kind of keep that in mind. Abraham, when he was supposed to be patient and wait with Sarah, got impatient. Uh, Sarah gave um, her servant Hagar to him. And they had Ishmael. And there's conflict still to this day. And so then that line follows through to Jacob. But keep Ishmael kind of like in the corner of your mind. So we talked about Jacob. And then go to the next one. Perfect. From Jacob comes all these people. And I'm, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, and I just want to give you some context if you weren't here. That Jacob loved Rachel, got Leah, they both fought and gave him their servants, and then had this whole mess of kids right here. This whole mess of children. Reuben messed, lost his right as a firstborn son because he uh, slept with Bilhah, which is a no-no. Uh, Simeon and Levi tricked the whole town and killed them all, so they lost it. So Judah and Joseph kind of become like the top-tier guys. Everyone with me? I just want to kind of sum that up. And so what Joseph is dreaming, and Joseph has this dream really um, amidst a chaotic family. And we talked about that last week. And the dream is totally hijacked. Right, he, He's the most loved son from the most loved wife who's passed away. Now he's getting all the love from the dad. And so he shares these dreams that we read about last week about, you know, we were bundling wheat, and then your wheat bowed down to my wheat. And then he shares another dream of, like, the sun and the moon and the stars gather around and bowed down to me. And his brothers, who come from this chaotic family relationship, said, heck no. Like, you are not ruling us. Who are you to say that you're ruling us? And we talked last week about this idea that you got to be bold. If God gives you, if God begins to prophesy, speak through you, begins to awaken a dream, you got to be bold with a dream, but you have to be careful with the interpretation, who you allow to interpret it. You with me this morning? So this morning, as we talk about hijacking your dreams, is, is that people will often try to hijack your dreams. Situations will often try to hijack your dreams. Uh, even, even family, Joseph's own family hijacked his dreams. Joseph's situation, Joseph encountered things that took what he thought it was his dream, and it felt to him as if they were hijacked, as if they were stolen away. It felt to his brothers as if they were stolen away, and yet God totally uses this and makes it come to pass. And so my hope this morning is that we would stir up hope and strength and trust in the Lord because I believe that even when our dreams get hijacked, God still does something and moves. Amen. Let's pray this morning together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Dear God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that as we read it, as we dive into, the, in, into your word, that it just unlocks, God, that, that it unlocks in our heart and it opens, God, that it, it just shakes away the scales of our eyes and our heart. And all of a sudden, we can begin to see you more clearly and see ourselves more clearly and be open more to, to more of what you're trying to do. And so I pray this morning just for an open heart in, in myself and in this church that as, as we unlock this scripture, as we dive into it, God, it would just be this wealth of love and power and strength in our life that would transform and renew. In Jesus' name. Amen. So given this context, Joseph shares his dream. His brothers hate him. His brothers are, are pretty, um, they're way older than him. Uh, you know, he's 17, and they're probably, you know, Reuben's probably like in his 30s, 40s, maybe. You know, there's argument about that. But they're, they're adults. They do not like each other. They believe he's fighting for power. They believe that he wants to rule, that Joseph wants to rule them. And so this is kind of where we jump into the story. Right, this is kind of where we dive in. It's like hate, animosity, bitterness, family, um, conflict. And here's where we dive in. It's in Genesis 37, uh, verse 12. If you brought your Bible, open up your Bible to Genesis 37. It's really close to the beginning. If you didn't bring your Bible, uh, the words will be on the screen. But Joseph's 37, 12. Shechem is important. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And why Shechem is important, real quick, I'm just going to stop, is last week I shared about Simeon and Levi tricking that whole town. Remember, someone assaulted their sister. Jacob did nothing, so they took it upon themselves. This is the place. <laughs> this is the place. And, and now they're, they're pasturing their flocks near a town where they killed all the men. So um, maybe unwise. There might be some bitterness there. Maybe go somewhere else. So, he's, so Joseph, Jacob realizes this and says, Israel, whose name is Jacob, Jacob and Israel, same person, said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, or he said to him, here I am. 
So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers in the flock and bring me word. So go check up on them. Make sure they're not killing all the men in the town again. So he went, so he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields and the man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Just stop. Uh, real quick, there's a hierarchy here that's important to get. Is that Joseph was like the white collar overseer worker and his brothers were the, were the blue-collar kind of tradesmen, so to speak. Are you following me? So Joseph was given, even though he's, he's like the 11th in the line of birth, technical birth order, he's the first in line uh, of the sons and authority and all these things. So he's given a robe. He's given authority. His robe was a symbol of his, his power and his authority. So Joseph isn't dreaming about authority he hopes he has. He's dreaming about authority that he actually has. Right, so he has all of this, uh, all of this authority and all this power and all these things, and, and he's going to check on his brothers, and so he encounters them here in verse 18. It says, "They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him.'" And we will see what will become of his dreams. Okay, follow me on that last line. And we will see what will become of his dreams. See, I think I would hope that when we read Genesis 37, we'd be kind of amazed at this. Like, who has ever, like, had a weird dream in your life? You've had a weird, unique dream. Who has ever been killed for it? No, none of you? Good. <laughs> Because it, we, we would think in our context, why would they be, he already has authority. I mean, he already has these things. He is him. And why would they be so upset about a dream that they would go, you know what? I'm sick of that stuff about the wheat bowing down. Let's kill him. Doesn't that seem like a jump to anyone else? Or doesn't it seem like a jump if we just think, oh, yeah, he's just having some neat dreams or these things. It, it's a jump. Because they say, then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. That is a powerful statement they're making there. That is a powerful statement. They say, let's kill him, and then we're going to see what happens to his dreams. I think it shows what's going on in their heart. A lot of time when I'm meeting with somebody or I'm hanging out with people, I just let them talk. Because if you let someone talk long enough, they'll show you the condition of their heart. In almost every situation, if you let someone go long enough, they'll eventually tell you exactly what they're thinking. And so why did they say this? They said, then we will see what become of his dreams. Why get so worked up over the sun and the moons? Why weren't they just like, uh, you know, we always say like, oh, Joseph was kind of a punk and he was arrogant and blah, blah, blah. Okay, if that was the case, why didn't they just say he's an arrogant teenager, right? I mean, why, was he the first arrogant teenager to ever say arrogant teenager stuff? No, if that was the case. So why then get so worked up? They're like, kill him, right? 11, I mean, literally 10 people banded together were like, let's murder him. I mean, that's pretty intense. The reason is because in the ancient Near East, in this time, they took dreams very seriously. So when I'm saying dreams, sometimes we think, yeah, I ate some bad pizza, fell asleep on the couch and had this crazy dream that, you know, cats and dogs were together and, like, were, <laughs> they were, like, fighting in a war, you know, with lasers. You know, we had these, like, kind of crazy dreams, and that's where we go with this idea. That's how we think of dreams. We think of them as ridiculous. But they saw dreams as crucial and important. And so to them, what Joseph was basically saying when I had a dream is he's saying, God has communicated to me, the word of the Lord has communicated to me that this will happen. Are you with me this morning? So Joseph is saying, God gave me a revelation about our future. And his brothers said, we'll see about that. Right? If your younger brother came to you and said, I have a revelation from God, that you, and we were all together, and you, I was in the middle, and then you all were bowing to me. Older siblings, how many of you would be like, yeah, praise the Lord. I love that. You'd be like, come on, man. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> You're always like this. Mom and dad love you more. You know, <laughs> I don't have siblings, but I've watched this dynamic happen. It's hilarious from the outside. Just this younger sibling and anything that they say, people are like, shut up, man. It's <laughs> like the dynamic. We don't say shut up in our house. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, but there's this attitude that's happening here where he believes that he's getting super, the supernatural communication from God. And his brother says, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. 
And the reality of this situation is that God-given dreams will meet opposition. God-given dreams are going to meet opposition. Because a revelation from God usually has one or two responses. It has obedience or rebellion. Right, a revelation, a word from God, there's not really middle ground on a word from God. There's obedience or rebellion, and you're taking something that's profoundly supernatural, and you're, you're, it's encountering profoundly broken and finite small people, and, and they're having to figure this out. And so usually it responds based off to wherever you are. See, this is what happens. Joseph has the dream. He's in the spirit. His brothers are in the flesh. And so the flesh is trying to interpret what the spirit is doing, and it's missing it, and it's angering them. It's making them furious. It's putting them in rebellion. We see this all the time. People who are living by the flesh get mad at what's happening that the spirit's doing because they're submitted to the flesh. Are you with me this morning? Is that what happens is that a revelation from God can be uncomfortably bright. Uh, one time at, at our last church, we made this stage design, and I had a, a bunch of school of ministry students helping me, and, you know, bless their heart, uh, <laughs> they really tried. And they made this stage design. At the end, we kind of stood back from the stage, the larger stage, and we stood back and went, that's bad. Like, that's real bad. Like, who painted this? <laughs> And we're looking at it, and so one of, the, one of the tech people that we had on our team says, you know what, if we turn the lights down real low, real low, and we get those color lights going, then it's going to look awesome. And to his credit, it did. The only problem was when we hit the speaker with a spotlight, you saw it, like, behind him. And it was, like, luminous. <laughs> it was vibrant. Our mistakes were laid bare before hundreds and hundreds of people, right, just... You know, we're like, oh, my goodness, that doesn't look good. And oftentimes, that's what can happen when God gives a word to someone is if it hits us and we feel like that stage is on, like we're trying to stay in the dark and we're trying to stay back here and like just leave the color lights on. Let me just glow and look good. Like we're fine. But if we get hit with that, poof, that spotlight from the revelation of God, we're like, oh, my gosh, this makes me feel terrible. <laughs> like, look how dirty I am. I haven't washed this shirt in weeks. You know, that's how we feel as people. And so that's how the brothers feel, is that it's putting a spotlight because it's recognizing insecurity. It's recognizing sinful nature. Joseph is in the spirit receiving a revelation of God. Joseph didn't make this dream up. God gave it to him for his family, for the future of the people of Israel. God gave him a powerful dream. And if they weren't insecure, they would have been like, wow, that's amazing, man. God gives you dreams? That's amazing. But they had insecurity and they were hiding and they had darkness and sin, and so they responded out of rebellion. Because people will rebel against what God has deposited in your heart. Did you know that? His brothers rebelled against the revelation of God, and they said, we'll see about that. We'll see about that, man. You think that's going to happen? We'll see. People will do that in the dream that God gives you and awakens in you. Maybe you feel like God, God has given you such a powerful dream for your family. People go, ah, man, we'll see about that. I know your family. We'll see. Get real, man. Get real. I've seen your family. You think that's happening? Get out of here, man. Right? Because they're responding based off where they're at, not where you're at. And, and have grace for people, right? If God gives you a revelation, have a little grace, just like Jesus had grace on the cross. Right? People haven't seen what you've seen. They don't know what you know. So have, we got to have grace, but at the same time, we can't take it personally because a dream will often meet with opposition. Think about that. They rebelled against Jesus. Jesus. I mean, he's what we're all, like, aspiring to, right? They rebelled against him. They rebelled against what he spoke, what, the, what his father was doing through him and in his life. They hated the revelation of God. He says, yeah, I'm going to tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days. And they said, we'll see about that. Crucify him. Right? That's what it's because they didn't get it. They were in the flesh. He was in the spirit. They said, man, you can't tear down. A, you know how long it took to build this temple? We can't even lift all these bricks up there in three days. And you're telling me you're going to tear down and rebuild in three days? Get out of here, man. We'll see about that. Why don't we put you on a cross and see what happens? Mark 15. I, I love this part of scripture. Mark 15. If you're, if you're a quick Bible flipper, jump. We'll come, we'll come back to 37. I know you guys are like, how does it end? We'll get there. Mark 15, it's important, 25, it'll be on the screen. It says, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the, inscri and the inscription of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And here the heart of the brothers of Joseph in this moment it says, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, 
Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him, even the people dying next to him. Think about that. They mocked Jesus. But why did they mock him? Because he had brown hair? Because he came from Bethlehem? Well, why did they knock him? He's Jesus of Nazareth? Why, why, did they, why, why did they hate him? They hated him because what God did through him, that he was fully man, fully God, and that he had brought him to this world, right, to die, be resurrected, to change, to call the world to repentance, to call it to new eternal life. And they hated him from that, and they weren't rebelling against him, the color of his skin, the nature of his being. They were rebelling against the God dream, the Lord inside of him, that he was the Lord, right? They were rebelling against God. They were rebelling against the dream of God. And so they put him up on the cross and they said, okay, three days, huh? We'll see. We'll see. Oh, you t- oh pff, yeah, God dream. Okay, awesome. Well, we'll just do to you the worst thing we can think of. And then why don't you prove yourself? Why don't you prove that that's really from the Lord? And so they put him up on the cross. And this is the thing. The enemy always plays his hand the same way. The enemy tries to use death to destroy dreams, but we serve a God who destroyed death. Are you with me? Is it in your life? The enemy is going to try to use death. He's going to try to use these things to destroy the dreams of your life. And yet we use a God that has destroyed death, that it doesn't have the power. It doesn't have the authority, that fear, shame, guilt, everything, sin attached to that is destroyed. Jump back with me to Genesis 37, 21. It says, we're going to kill him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Then we'll see what happens. Genesis 37, 21, it says, but when Reuben heard it, he rescued them out of their hands by saying, let's not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed not blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hands and restore him to his father. <laughs> I, I think, now, I'll keep going. I'm going to reserve that judgment. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. They took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. That's how little remorse they have. They threw him in. They walked away, and they listened to him scream while they ate some food. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. You guys remember Ishmael, right? So these are distant cousins that are not a super big fan of them right? Abandoned in the desert, left to die. People that are not good friends. Family feud, Hatfields and McCoys here. These are the people. They see them coming, and it says, um, then Judah and his brothers in 26 said, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Like, let's not kill him. Let's make some money. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not, not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother. It's so gracious. Our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him, Then Midianite traders passed away, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Israel. Okay, whirlwind of emotions, follow me here. Joseph goes out to see his brothers. He's like, hey, guys, how's it going? And they say, we're about to kill you. And they throw him in a pit. They throw him in an empty pit full of, you know, who knows what, but it's not full of water, and they're in the desert. So they throw him away to die. Joseph's in the pit. He's thinking, oh, my gosh, what is going on? Or he's processing all these things. They're eating lunch. And then they come back. And they're like, all right, man, come on out. And being the classic youngest, he's like, ah, guys, like oddly trusting, even though they're still, like, locking him in pits and doing things. He's like, oh, man, thanks, guys. Like, that was, that was kind of crazy. I for sure thought y'all were going to kill me. And then they're like, oh, no, we're not going to kill you. We're going to sell you. And he's like, what? <laughs> And I, when I was reading this, I kind of like laughed to myself because I feel like it reflects so much sometimes of how we feel in life. Like we get out of the pit only to land in bondage. Like we're like, we're out. Nope. <laughs> it's like, I did it. I'm free. Just kidding. I'm not. I'm, I'm in bondage. I'm locked in. I'm still in a situation where we feel like hopeless. Because I feel like in that moment, Joseph would have felt so hopeless because he got out of what he thought was going to kill him only to land in a place where he would likely die in slavery. But I want to tell you this morning that God can bring about the promise through the persecution. That I know it, it, it looks like coming out of the pit into bondage. 
And I know the enemy wants you in bondage. He wants you trapped because he thinks that that's going to destroy the dream. And yet all throughout scripture, all throughout lives, the enemy thinks the chains are going to keep you from the mission of God. And yet all the time, you can break, God breaks those chains and releases you into the ministry of God. And he uses what the enemy meant to destroy you to give you victory. Are you with me this morning? Is that he uses what the enemy thought was going to destroy you, was going to bind you. The very thing that was meant to destroy you, God can use to fulfill the dream in your life. Some of you have experienced things or have been through things and been in bondage to things or trapped in things and still are. And yet I want to tell you that God, God can give you victory. God already has victory. He wants you to walk in victory. He wants you to walk in freedom. But not only that, the greatest way we kind of give it back to the enemy is we take what he meant to destroy us and use it for good. That's why the best drug and alcohol addiction counselors are people who have struggled with drug and alcohol addiction. Because the thing that was meant to bind you and destroy you and kill you and break you and throw you in the dirt and make you feel worthless is the thing that now you're throwing back in the enemy's face and saying, not only me, but them too. I'm bringing them with me. Right? That what was supposed to destroy me, God is going to use to redeem not only me, but other people. And, and I want to I be careful what I'm saying here. I'm not saying stay in the chains or hold on to the chains. Break the chains by the power of Jesus. Live in freedom and go break other people's chains with Jesus. So just point of clarification. So let's keep going then. Uh, Genesis 37, 29. <clears throat> it says this. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and where shall I go? Basically, Reuben was the oldest. He's already messed up pretty tough. Now he's basically led to the killing of, or the, he has no idea where Joseph is, but he probably is assuming it's not great. They've sold him apparently when he's not there. And he's realizing as the oldest, as a full-grown man who was entrusted with this kid, I have royally screwed up. Have you ever in the past thought like, I probably should have said something. That really got out of hand. Right? That is where he is at in his family. And so it says, uh, then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to the father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph was without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus the father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him, Joseph, to Egypt, and they sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. It's just amazing to me. I don't think we should ever be surprised how God uses our broken circumstances to bring about his powerful conclusion. See, see, if God has a plan, if God has a dream, if God has something to move in, then no act of man, no matter how devastating, can destroy that dream. Follow me. I, I, I love this, the story. Um, we talk about different missionaries, and I love stories of missionaries who gave it all in the field, and maybe they didn't even see the fruit of that dream but it still came to be because even the most vile, vicious attack of man didn't destroy what God wanted to do through them, didn't destroy what God wanted to see happen. And people say, oh, well, you know, without him being, you know, sold to, to Egypt, you know, they never would have had salvation. Without him being sold here, they never would have had salvation, found, or, you know, like had the food. And we'll talk about that later, freedom from the famine. They never would have had these things. And I think that draws a dangerous conclusion because what it concludes is that God is going to do bad things to you for good ends. And that's not how he works. Hear me say, God is not putting you through garbage and crap and junk and different things for the sake of you learning some valuable lessons so he can fulfill a promise. That implies we have a pretty weak God that was like, dang it, what do I do? How do I save my people? Guess I'll just have to sell them into slavery. Like, what are you talking about? God has a habit of taking what the enemy meant for evil and redeeming it and using it for good, and that's what's happening here. God is not surprised by the actions of man. That's why he sent his son. He fully understands who we are and how we work and how we function. Nothing sneaks up on God. Like, oh, man, they're really messing with my plan. I haven't checked in on that one for a while. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like an unattended garden that he hoped bears some fruit eventually. 
God is always faithful to his promise. Hear me when I say this, that what we get hope from in Joseph is that God is always faithful to his promise. This is key to everything when it comes to dreams, life, suffering, you know, whatever it is in your life. God is always faithful to fulfill the promise. If God said it, then he's going to bring it to pass. Hear me say that. If God said it, he's going to bring it to pass. Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Numbers 23, 19, if you're in Old Testament, you want to get into that. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak, then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God is always faithful to fulfill his promise. And I think this is important as we talk about dreams, we're believing that God is going to unlock dreams in your life. Is I'm not just talking about God's going to unlock ambitions or goals. This is so important that you hear this, is that, that God, I'm not saying God is going to like uh, motivate. This is not a motivational seminar. This is a spirit I've done awakening in your life. That I'm not believing that God's going to just give you like, oh, it'd be neat to do this. I've done those series before. I've done marketing campaigns for do hard things and you just got to go out and pick something, run a 5K or do whatever. I'm not trying to tell you what dream to get in your life, but the key is it's got to be a dream from the Lord. This is not just a motivational seminar where you gather around and I tell you, just do anything. I'm telling you, you got to get near the Lord and God has to speak in something and awaken something inside of you. You got to get in the word of God and I've got awakening something because God's always faithful to fulfill his promise. See, we find hope in Joseph's life because it's God fulfilling his word in Joseph's life, not Joseph's ambitions. And it can be dangerous if we're all just personal ambition and we, and we somehow confuse that with what God is trying to say. Because then if those ambitions don't work out, we feel that not only have we failed, but God has failed. God, why did you do Why did, It's already hard enough already. And so in Joseph's life, we see the hope is that our desire should be, God, I seek a revelation that comes from you. God, speak to me. Guide me. Give me dreams. Give me visions. Speak to me in my prayer time. Speak to me from your word, the word that you've given us. What, is he call, what are you calling me to? Where are you directing, God? Where are you guiding me? When we live this way, it's not hard to be motivated to prayer because we basically have to be in it and in the word in order to live. Because a man-made dream dies once I run out of energy or get a cold or get tired or someone does something terrible to me and abuses me and there's trauma in my life. That's when it runs out. But a God dream says, God, you have said it and you will fulfill it. We find hope in Joseph's life because God fulfills his word, not just his ambitions. I mean, think of Joseph in the pit, right? Joseph is, he's got to be flying pretty high. He's getting these dreams. Goes to visit. He's thrown in the pit. Thinks he's going to die. He's lost all hope. He's taken out of the pit. He thinks, okay, awesome. Then he's sold into slavery. It's even worse. See, Joseph had a dream from God, but I don't think Joseph ever dreamed he'd be thrown in a pit. I don't ever think he'd be sold into slavery. Who wakes up thinking, I'm going to be sold into slavery today? He never thought he'd be accused of rape and thrown into prison. He never thought that he would even have a high office in Egypt. How could he even dream that? He never dreamed that. He never dreamed that he'd see his family again. He, he, never, he never dreamed any of this situation. And yet God used all of these things that the enemy tried to use to destroy him. God used it to bring the dream to completion because that's who God is. Hear me when I say what God said about Joseph is true and came to pass. What God said about Jesus is true and came to pass. Look at the parallels between Joseph and Jesus. Hated for how the, their father spoke through them. Hated for the, the prophecy that they were giving. They were a threat to established power of people not living in accordance to where they're supposed to. They were both stripped of their garments, both one a robe and one a seamless garment, and they were thrown into the pit for the hopes of death. Jesus a tomb, Joseph a pit. And yet God fulfilled the word spoken to them, and salvation for a people came through both people. And God, what God said came true. If God spoke it, he will be faithful to fulfill it. Hear me, the brothers probably laughed when they sold Joseph. They hated this kid so much. I mean, they just, oh, they hated this kid so much. They were just like, let's kill him. And literally the only reason they didn't kill him because someone was like, what if we just sell him? 
which is basically death. What if we strip him of his entire identity and lock him in his, he probably should have just died in, in, in some people's thoughts, which is why Reuben is so devastated. They said, let's just kill this kid. They're so mad at him, right? And they wanted to destroy him when they sold him. They're probably laughing like, suck it. Like, you're a loser, you're gone, you're forever. Like, what happened to your dreams now? Have fun in slavery, right? That's their life. They were eating food while he was crying out. And they said, good luck. We defeated your dream. We defeated your dream. They just hated this kid. And yet, what I love about God is that God's word was proved true in Joseph's life no matter what his brothers did to him. And what I love about God is that God's word was proved true in Jesus' life no matter what people tried to do to Jesus. Right? They tried to kill Joseph. They just brought him closer to the promise because that's who God is. They tried to kill Jesus, and they fulfilled the promise because that's who God is. And there are people that will try to hurt you and destroy you and break you down, and the world will try to overwhelm you and tell you you're not worthy, that you're not worthy to dream, that you don't have the power to dream, and they'll try to destroy you. And you know what they're doing? They're just bringing you closer to the promise. Because God is not going to be outdone when it comes to the work of the supernatural and the movement of him in your life. He's not going to be made a fool. He's going to move. If he said it, he's going to fulfill it. Amen? I just love that I can trust the Lord. Even when I'm not feeling it, when I'm in the pit or when I'm in the prison, is that I can go, oh, my gosh, this is awful. But if you said it, it's going to come to pass. I want to encourage you with one last I don't know about the band up this morning. So stand on the foundation of his promise. Where is his promise found? Well, A, it's deposited in your heart, but crucially, it's in his word. See, so much of Joseph's life here is uncertain, ups and downs. You know, he's in prison, he's in power, he's in prison, he's in power, right? He's in all of these things, dealing with past trauma and rejection. All of these things are, are happening in his life. But he stands on the promise of God that was deposited even as a young kid. Psalm 89, 13 says, your arm, talking about the Lord, is endowed with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. See, the word of God reminds us, which is why we got to go back to the word often, that God is always faithful. In fact, it says in 2 Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny who he is. Get that, even when we're not on it, when I'm not on it, God's still, he's still who he is. He's still faithful. And faithfulness isn't something he does, it's who he is. It's ingrained into his life and his character. And I believe in the Lord when he says, my promises will come true. That he's faithful, that he's good. Because I've seen it, but also because I trust this. I trust the word of God. I trust what he's saying. And when I get in the word and I look at the character of God, I'm like, oh my goodness, thank you, Jesus. I could be doing this life on my own, but instead I have a God who's faithful. We talked in our small group. Uh, Barbara brought up a really good question of, you know, pick a word on who you think the Lord is. And a lot of people in our group said, he's my rock, right? He's faithful. He's faithful. Even when the storms are coming against me, he's faithful. He's faithful. I'm going to invite you to stand because I want to share something, kind of put our postures in a position of receiving this morning. I want you to hear me say that if God has spoken, if he's promised, he'll be faithful to fulfill it. Which is why it's got to be a God dream, not just a you motivation. Which is why in this series, as you're praying, God's going to awaken some things in your life. He's going to stir some things up. And you're going to have to work. You're going to have to work with them. Say, oh my God, I can't just push this aside. I got to. I got to work with what God's trying to do in my life. But I think that we want to believe that God is faithful. I think sometimes we're overwhelmed by the reality of our life. And I was talking to somebody this week, and they said, I really wanted to come forward, and, and last week, and kind of lay my dream down. But it's all I have left is this dream. And I hold it so tight because I don't want anyone to blow it out. And I like hold it in my heart. And I'm afraid that if I open it, because I've opened it before, and people have stomped on it, spit on it, done whatever. I'm afraid if I open that up and I allow God to stir it, I'm afraid if it doesn't work out, I just don't have anything left. Has so it ever felt like that before in your life? 
if, if, I, if I open this dream up in my life, I know you're saying, Pastor, that God's faithful, but if I open this dream up, if I open it up and it doesn't work out, I, I don't know what I got left. I've been there. I've for sure, for sure been there. And I believe that God has sent me and, and brought you here in this moment to ask again, as he is your loving father who will not forsake you, who will not abandon you, and who wants to awaken, to breathe on the coals of that dream, even though it's just the one thing you hold so tight, he's saying, would you open your hands, would you bring out that one coal and allow me to just blow light, blow onto that, awaken that dream. Because if I gave you that, I'll be faithful to fulfill it. And what he's saying this morning is, do you trust me? That's what the Lord's saying. I'm not saying it to you. I'm not asking if you trust me. I'm broken. I'm going to let you down. I, I can promise you that. I'm a, you know, I, I make mistakes. God is looking at you, and we look at Joseph, and he's saying, do you trust me? Are you willing to take what's in your heart that's precious to you? And you're going to hold it tight, but eventually you're going to smother it, and it's going to be gone anyways. But so are you willing to open it up and say, God, if you promised it, you're faithful to fulfill it. God, if you promised it, you're faithful to do it. God, God, if you promised it, I know, I believe you're a dude. I see it in Joseph that you promised, and no matter what the world did to him, you brought it about. I see it in Jesus that you promised, and no matter what they tried, you brought it about. So, God, I'm going to trust you. And no, Jesus, I don't got anything left. So this is kind of it for me. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to believe that if you promised it, you're going to do it. Some of you have a promise for your family, and you're holding it, and God's asking you to open it. Some of you have a promise in your life, in your person. Some of you have a promise in ministry in your life. Some of you have never even allowed yourself to do this moment, so you don't even know what that is. But God is asking you this morning to, to make a decision that is simple but powerful and difficult all together. And will you trust the Lord? Will you trust a God who is faithful to fulfill what he has promised? Would you close your eyes with me tonight or this morning? All around this room, I just want you to hear that moment. Will you trust the Lord? Maybe trust Him again. Say, like, God, I'm going to dream again. I'm going to open this up. It's all I got. It's like the widow's might of a dream. It's just this tiny little thing. But I'm going to open it up and say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. God, it's scary for me because I've been hurt a lot. I don't even feel like I'm the kind of person that should dream. I'm not even the kind of person that should get a revelation of the depth of your love in my life. I'm not even the kind of person that, that should even get a dream for how you want to use me to grow your kingdom. God, I don't even feel like that kind of person because I've just been hurt so much. And God this morning is saying, I'm faithful. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Will you take a step of faith and say, I trust you this morning? With every eye closed, every head bowed. Give opportunity this morning maybe in your life, give two things, but the first thing is maybe in your life you've never made that choice. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, you've never made a choice to say, Jesus, I trust you with my life and I choose to follow you. I'm tired of going in on my own. I, I need a savior. I want to follow you. Every week we want to give the opportunity for people to step in to the greatest joy that you could ever find, and that's the love of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if that's you and you're saying, I I've never said, Jesus, I'm giving my life, I'm surrendering my life to you, I want to trust you, I'm tired of going alone, I want to walk with you, would you do me a favor? Would you just lift your hand up, every eye closed, every head bowed, just lift your hand up. Thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down once you've lifted them up. I'm going to pray with you this morning. God, I, I lift up those who, who just raised their hand. And God, we rejoice over them. We thank you that this morning they've made a decision to say, I trust you, I follow you with my life. For the very first time, I choose to follow Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you would walk with them and be with them this morning as they begin this journey of following you as the Savior of their life. We thank you that, they're, that they will be with you for eternity in your love, worshiping you and praising you in heaven. And we glorify you in Jesus' name. Okay, one more thing. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Don't go anywhere. One last thing. So this morning, like we just prayed about, that God, if he said it, he's faithful to fulfill it. Some of us this morning are saying, God, it's scary, but I'm going to say I trust you. 
And I tell people to close their eyes because I just want it to be you and the Lord, you and the Lord this morning. You're saying, God, I hold this dream tight. I've been disappointed. I've struggled. Or maybe I've never had it, but I'm just choosing today and say, God, I trust you. You're faithful. And I'm going to ask you in just a second to lift your hand. And what that's a sign of is you showing God saying, here I am. I don't know the answers. <laughs> I don't know how the timeline, but I'm willing to say again, I trust you. Every eye closed, every head bowed, if that's you this morning, and you're going to say, God, I trust you. I trust you this morning. I'm laying my dream down to you and saying, I trust you. I'm opening up. Just take it like it's in your hand and from your heart and just lift it up to him with one arm raised and say, God, I trust you. I trust you, whatever that is. Maybe it's for your family. Maybe God's given you a dream for ministry. Maybe God's given you a dream for a school of ministry. Maybe God's given you a dream in how he's going to use you. Maybe God's given you a dream for, for health in, in your family. Whatever that is, you feel like God has spoken that, and, and that promise has kind of died down, but you're saying with your arm raised, God, I trust you. Maybe it's for your identity. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. With your arms raised, just leave them up. Even if they get tired, switch arms. I'm going to pray for you this morning. God, see these hands raised, and we say, God, we trust you. God, we trust you this morning. God, we take this dream that we're holding tight to, that we're holding so close to our heart, and we just release it up to you. And we say, God, if you promised it, you'll be faithful to fulfill it. And we stand on the word of God. God, whether in our lifetime or the next, whatever it may be, God, if you promised it, you're going to fulfill it. So, God, we release it to you. We release the timeline to you. We release the fulfillment to you. We release the journey to you. We we release the trust to you. We release the faith to you. God, we release the hope and the power to you. It's all to you, God. It's all yours, God. And we say this morning, with even our last breath of effort for some of us in this dream, even though we're scared to let it go, we say, God, we give it to you. And we pray, God, if you have promised it, would you fulfill it? And we say, Jesus, I trust you. If you have your arms raised, even if, even if you can only muster a whisper, but if you can muster a yell, do it. Say, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, God. I trust you. I trust you, Lord. Receive that comfort right now. Some of you, he's trying to comfort right now. As you say, I trust you, he's releasing. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy. Hear it again. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, all who have labored for your dream. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are tired, all who have tried and feel like they're kicked down, all who have been in the pit only to be saved out into bondage, who feel trapped. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. All the people said, amen.